Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. God, I pray that you would pour out your spirit in this day. God, that you would do it amongst these people. That the people would humble themselves before you, trusting that you're going to lift them up. God, that it wouldn't be about a false humility. It wouldn't wouldn't be about what they do. It wouldn't be about anything else other than who it is that you say that they are and claiming the promise found in your word. So, Father, I pray that you would release your spirit today. That you would show us what revival looks like. That you would wake us up to the reality of you. God, if somebody in this place or maybe listening at home is in spiritual slumber, or just kind of going through the motions spiritually, I pray, God, that right now in this moment that you would wake them up. I pray if there's someone who's either in this room or at home who doesn't know you in a personal way, God, that they would humble themselves, that they would repent of their sins, and they would ask you to save them today. And Father, in all things, I pray that you would just give us courage in a time that's really easy to be discouraged, but to give us courage to do what it is that you want us to do and to be the people that you're making us to be. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, before I get rolling this morning, I want to bring something to your attention. Um, of course, many of you, unless you like, live in a cave somewhere and you don't have a phone or any sort of technology, you know that there's a war going on in Ukraine right now, right? We know this, common knowledge. One of the things that was brought to my attention by, by Joe, actually, just a couple days ago, is we have an opportunity to help some people in need who are being impacted by the war in Ukraine. So next week, we're going to take a love offering, and that is going to be to benefit an orphanage in people who are, are fleeing from the Ukraine. There are approximately 1.5 million people who are now refugees, who were not refugees, and now they're, being, now they're refugees trying to escape the war in that war-torn land. And we're, what we can do is we can pray, and what we should be doing is praying, but also we can give financially to help a small even just even if it is just a small group of people who are impacted, who are in an orphanage right on the outside of the Ukrainian border trying to find refuge from what's going on in their world. I don't know about you, but my heart has been incredibly heavy for what's going on in the Ukraine. I'm someone who's, I don't live like so connected to the news, but yet in this situation, I am connected to it for many reasons. But my heart, although I've never gone to the Ukraine and I've never gone to Russia, my heart is just really drawn to that region. And I want to thank Joe for the opportunity for us to give as a church to lean into and help some people who many of us, and maybe you're like me, we feel powerless. Like, what can I possibly do to impact or benefit anyone else on that side of the world other than prayer? And here's a way that we can give a tangible help to help some people in need. And, and once that was presented to me, it was, it was a no-brainer. This is something that we need to lean into. So that love offering will be next week. One thing that's inspired me about everything going on in the Ukraine, if you could be inspired by what the war, is what uh, one of the things that the president of 
Ukraine had said when he was given an opportunity to leave the Ukraine, and many of you maybe have, have heard what he had said, but the president of the Ukraine, when given an opportunity to leave, he said, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. Whether or not we agree that that's a good war or a bad war, that's irrelevant, that's a topic for another day. But one of the things that I am inspired by in hearing that is this man has courage. He has courage in the middle of adversity that is a profound adversity that I've never faced. And most of us have never faced. But he has this courage in the face of this adversity. And I'm not saying it's a spiritual thing. I don't know where he is with God in his walk with God. But I thought to myself, what if we as Christians, when we're faced in a difficult situation where we didn't pray for God to take us away from that situation, but instead we to stay what if instead we have instead of just embracing this escapist mentality like god take me away from every difficult thing every hard thing but instead where we lean in and say god i don't know i don't i don't i don't really want to leave this thing but i know that i'm in it and you put me in it and i want courage to embrace whatever the situation is you see when i when i heard that quote, I was inspired not only on on the leadership level, but also on a spiritual level. And it shook me up even this morning when I was praying and was having my own time of worship with the Lord. And I'm just really engulfed in this thought. I'm like, what if we were to be the people who are courageous like that? But spiritually speaking, what if we were these type of people? What if we were the type of people who truly embrace the reality of what it says in Jeremiah 29, 11? The same promise, by the way, that was given to the people who were exiled and now coming back to the promised land. This was written just a couple hundred years before the event that we're going to read and study today from Ezra 5. And Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, a very common verse. You probably know it. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Who wants a hope and a future this morning? Who wants to lean into that truth and know that I can have a hope, a hope that's rested in God, and I can have a future better than my past? Is anyone wanting that this morning? You see, the people of God in in the time of Ezra, they have this promise, and yet somehow in the middle of their difficulty, they lack courage to step forward. They lacked courage to step forward and embrace what it is that God had for them. Instead, they were stuck for 16 years. They had gathered, and there was a lot of hoopla and a lot of excitement. They gathered together to put the altar together. We're going to bring about the temple, and the foundation got built. Remember this. The foundation got built, and some people were cheering, and some people were crying. Some people were cheering like, this is going to be the best ever, and some other people said, this isn't going to be as good as what it used to be. Oh, church, many of us were stuck in, still in that place right now where we're stuck and we're thinking these are the best days. And yet there's some other people who are maybe at home or maybe listening to me from this room who are still past and saying, well, there's no way the future is going to be as good as the past. Oh, if that's the case, you are stuck just like these people are stuck. And what God wants to remind you is that he has a plan for you, too. If you're in Christ, he has a plan for you. He has, he has a hope and a future for you. And, and I love, right in the middle of this verse, it declares the Lord. So this isn't even, like for me saying it really doesn't mean much. I can say just about anything. Uh, and I can make things pop in the speakers, apparently. I can do that too. Uh, but, you know, 
You know, it's when the Lord says, declares the Lord, that's the emphatic. It's like this is God speaking. Oh, church, we need to lean into this and we need to believe this because it is true. Not because Chad says it's true, because God says it's true. In this passage, I invite you to go to Ezra chapter 5. What we're going to see in this passage is this. If you're a note taker, you maybe want to write these things down. You're going to see ultimately that it takes a connection with God to have courage from God. And that leads to conviction for God. I'll say it again, just in case you're slow like I am. It takes a connection with God to have courage from God. And that leads to conviction for God. These people were stuck, and they had been for 16 years. They had seen some great days. And those days had stopped because some enemies had come in. And some, some naysayers were coming in, and they stifled the vision. And the work had, that was a place of excitement. They were embracing their divine space of what God was wanting them to do, and now it was stopped for 16 years. We'll see what happens next. Verse 1. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Idu, or Ido, excuse me, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel, who is over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, and Jeshua, son of Josadak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. At that time, Tatanai, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Shethar Bozani and their associates went to them and asked, Who authorized you to rebuild the temple and restore this structure? They also asked, What are the names of men constructing this building? But the eye of their God was watching over the elders of the Jews, and they were not stopped until the report could go to Darius and his report, or and, and go to Darius. Reply, be received. So now you see more tension in the storyline. Now there's, there's more opposition. Last week we talked about the six different weapons that were imposed upon the people as to why they stopped for these 16 years. And now you see there's, there's more things happening. You may ask yourself in verse 1, why is it that God sent a prophet? Why is it that God sent a prophet? God sent a prophet because it was a spiritual problem. If it were just simply a leadership problem, God would have sent a leader. If it were just a, a, a social problem, God would have just brought somebody who was aligned socially to bring about some social change. But make no mistake, this is a spiritual problem. The people are stuck because they're believing the lies of the enemy and they're not believing God. This is an easy pit for us to fall into even today. For us to believe in what's going on around us or only see things from the temporal instead of the eternal, to see things right in front of our face instead of seeing it as what God wants to see and written out in His Word. So you may ask, well, how is this relevant to us today? If you don't know that this is relevant, you probably haven't been listening so far. You and I need to in, embrace our divine space, the thing that it is God wants us to do and for us to be a catalyst of. And we all have 
something. Perhaps it's somewhere. But maybe you're like me. I try to be physically fit as well as spiritually fit. I try to be physically fit. But I've got this thing that opposes me of being physically fit. I can, I can say no to soda. Some of you say yes to it all the time. That's fine. I'm not judging you. Either in my heart or out loud. I'm not. I, I, I can stay away from that, and I'm not, I'm not tempted by that. What I'm tempted by are lime tortilla chips. <laughs> I like them. I, so who, does anyone else like lime tortilla chips? I am so tempted by the, I mean, I'm, I'm not like one bag in one sitting. I'm so much better than that. I'm one bag in two settings. That's what I am with those chips. It's a problem. It, like, it's a problem, and I tell Marla, she, she, she will give me those if we're on tacos or something, and she will get those chips, and I'm like, do not get me, do not get any lime chips. She's like, but you like them. That's the problem. I like them. I like them a lot. They are to me my kryptonite. You remember kryptonite? If you're a Superman fan, he had, I have some rare kryptonite right here, um, also known as glass, but don't tell anyone. Um, if I cut myself, just like throw me a Band-Aid or something. This is really sharp. It really is. Um, but you see, Superman had his kryptonite, didn't he? Anytime he was around the, the made-up thing known as kryptonite, that he what? Lost his strength. Yeah, he didn't have any strength. It's like... He went from Superman to whatever he had kryptonite in all his power. And, and his, his arch rival would, would try and give him kryptonite or put him around kryptonite and take all of his power away. You see, I think we all have a kryptonite of sorts. And I could spend a lot of time kind of unpacking what our weaknesses are, but I'm not going to do that. I'll just share my own and relish in the, in the history of Superman is what we're inclined to. But what I can tell you is this. If you choose to be a catalyst, if you choose to catalyze something in your future, if you choose to make a difference physically, spiritually, relationally, in your marriage or within your family, I can tell you this. One thing that will oppose you and one kryptonite you will find is insecurity. If you're a note taker, this is the first thing you'd write down in your sermon notes. Insecurity is a catalyst's kryptonite. Insecurity. Insecure about who you are, insecure about who it is that God says that you are and what your, what, you are, what your potential is with the Holy Spirit of God. Insecurity is something that we all do face from time to time. Again, it would look different with all of us. I'll say it in this way. Insecurity is the gap between who you believe you are and who God says you are. Insecurity is the gap between who you believe that you are and who God says that you are. You see, and if we're, if we're in that gap, what we see is our, is our failures and our flaws. And we see everything that we've ever done wrong. And it causes us to be insecure. And yet, if we're connected with God, our kryptonite goes away. Ask why did you, why are you saying insecurity like within these people? What would they be insecure about? Let me just label the weapons from last week: the weapon of infiltration, 
the weapon of discouragement, the weapon of trouble, the weapon of frustration, the weapon of fatigue, and the weapon of accusation. That's the reason why they, would, they could have been insecure. That they were not believing what it is that God had for them. There's a common quote that's gone around who to give credit to. I know, I know I'm not the one that you should give credit to because it's been around for centuries. But it's a quote that says this, Be kind, for everyone you know is facing a great battle you know nothing about. Man, isn't that true? Everybody's fighting something. Be kind to one another. Be kind. You have insecurities. They have insecurities. We all have insecurities. We just need to be kind to one another. And I think one of the, one of the things that happens when we're insecure is we stop being kind to other people. We stop doing what it is that God wants us to do. We stop claiming the promises of God. And yet we stop believing that we have a hope in a future, as Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 29, 11. We're not the only ones who, who are insecure, though. I mean, you could go into the Old Testament, you look at Jeremiah and his ministry. He, he was one who was, who was beaten and stripped of his clothes. And he was a prophet in the Old Testament around the same time frame as Isaiah if you're familiar with Isaiah, it's around the same time frame. And Jeremiah was a prophet to the people of Jerusalem, and the king did not like him. He didn't like anything about him. And yet he, he basically hid him and he put him in prison. Don't you think people like Jeremiah were human beings like us who were thinking, God, is this really what you have for me? Like, I know that I'm a prophet, and I know it's not going to be easy all the way through, but, but seriously, I'm, I'm like, I don't have my clothes on anymore. I'm in being down. Now I'm in prison. And God, you put me here. But yet, as he would continue his work and his ministry, and then it would go forward, and he would continue to be faithful. But in all times, he was connected with God. And because he was connected with God, he had courage from God to face the adversity in front of him. That's the thing that's going to keep us from being insecure. Because insecurity is when we're, we're so consumed with ourselves. All we see is ourselves instead of God and who God says that we are. Insecurity is like when we live and we just live with the perpetual mirror in front of our face. Where all, we don't just see our face, but we see all of our failures and all of our flaws. And yet that's not who God says that we are. God says even that you have a hope in the future. If you're in Christ, you do indeed have a hope in the future. There are other people in the Old Testament who, who also were insecure. I mean, Moses was a murderer. Good grief. Don't you think that story kind of lagged behind him when he tried to be, now he's God's man? He was a murderer. You see, I guarantee he felt the gap between the person he wanted to be and thinking about the person that he once was. Even though he was a great man of God. Rahab. If you're familiar with that story, and you find this in Joshua, in, in, in the book of Joshua, Rahab was a prostitute. But she's known as a woman of great faith. She's not known for her past life, but you're known for what, she's known for what she did by rescuing the spies. And helping them. But in the back of her mind, she's a human being like we are. I guarantee you that she remembered past things that she had done, indiscretions that she had made, commitments and things that, that, that 
would turn all of our heads, and yet she still is known as a great woman of faith. But she, she exuded great courage, did she not? And conviction for God as she stood in the gap between God's people. I can give you so many other examples, but I won't. One thing I can tell you, with the people of God in Ezra 5, adversity led to insecurity. And insecurity erodes connection with God, courage from God, and conviction for God. So first, we have to go back to embrace who it is that God says that we are. Before we decide to go forward and do what it is that He says that we can do. Because when we do so, it's just saying, God, I've got this all by myself. I really don't need you. I can handle this. Oh, church, we can't handle this. We need God every day, every moment of every day. Every time we go to work, every time we wake up. I was reminded when we were singing of Lamentations 3 of that the mercies of God are new when? Every morning. Why do you think that scripture says that? Because we need it. Because we need it. And it's there for us. How do you respond to your insecurities? How do you respond to your insecurities? Do you just push other people away? Do you overcompensate in another area? Do you just go inward and shut down? Or do you just throw your hands up and say, I really don't even care about that, but yet you deeply do. Perhaps you should take a better path. First Peter 5 says this, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, He will lift you up in honor. Instead of going inward to ourself and inward to our past and inward to our brokenness, it's moving forward by His grace. The grace upon grace that we sung about. Amen? So we humble ourselves under the mighty power of God, and at that right time, He will lift you up in honor. I invite you to go to the right in your Bible just a little bit. You're going to go past Psalms and Proverbs. Just keep going. Uh, after Psalms and Proverbs, we're going to go to the right. We're going to end up in, in Haggai. You get all the way to the names that sound like American names, but not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not American names. If you get to them, you went too far, and then slowly go to the left in your Bible. Of course, if you have a device, you're going to get there before all of us. It really uh, doesn't pertain to you. But Haggai, here's the story. This is Haggai's version of what's happening. You're going to get a deeper cut into this insecurity. You're going to get a deeper cut into what's happening in this time frame and some other things as well. Haggai 1, verse 1. There's going to be a lot of reading going through verse 15. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. We're going to come back to this. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. This is so rich. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. 
Verse 7, this is what the Lord says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I might take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and on the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labor of their hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of their God, of the Lord their God, and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to build the began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Approximately 23 days had passed. God sent two prophets. We're going to pick up in our notes after the fact that insecurity is a catalyst kryptonite. But now what we're going to pick up and what we're going to see it's another thing that happens. Our insecurities can lead us to be excuse makers. Our insecurities can lead us to be excuse makers. Here's where I got this, where I got this from. Verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. They were trying to give an excuse as to why they had not got involved building and continuing to build the Lord's house. Instead, they were building their own houses. They were paneled houses. They were building up their own kingdom instead of building up a place of worship. This was simply an excuse. They're like, no, the time has not come because there's adversity here because all these people came forward and these people said this and they were accusing us. Earlier in Ezra 5, we see that the accusation comes and doing this work in the first place. And who's responsible for this work? Because they were going to go report this to the official. To the government, the governing official. They were going to go report it and say, now we're going to stop this thing once and for all. God sent the prophet that brings this message. And all that they have to offer back is an excuse. They're saying, well, it's just not time. Well, how much more time do you need? It's been 16 years. Do you need just another two years? Church, it's time. It's time. It's time that you embrace the promises of God. It's time. It's time that you stop making excuses for the reason why you're in the place that you're in and you're not where it is that God wants you to be. Time to stop embracing those excuses. 
instead claim the promises of God. It's time. It's far past time. I just know that every time that I get up here, there's somebody who sits in these seats or perhaps they're at home. You're just sitting here and you feel like your seat's on fire and maybe you don't even know Jesus Christ in a personal way and it's time that you repent of your sins and give your life to Jesus. There's nothing like it. I can remember the day that I gave my life to Jesus at that, at that little church. I was at the age of 21. I thought I had it all together and then I was sitting in a pew on the left side some of you are sitting about in my zone where it was right there, and I can't tell you a message, just a drop of his message, but I can tell you it was like my cube was on fire and I had to get my butt off of it. I'll tell you. Can I say that? I just did. <laughs> That's what it was like, and I just knew that God was moving me, and all I knew that I needed to come forward and give my life to Jesus, and it was time to do that. I didn't, have to, I didn't have to know the Bible. I didn't know the Bible. I didn't, I didn't know the, all the books of the Bible. I didn't know the heroes of the Bible. All I knew is I was going to hell, and I wanted to go to heaven, and I knew that the pathway was through Jesus Christ. And all I knew is my seat was on fire. And I had to get up out of my seat, and I had to come forward. And somebody led, through, led me through a plan of salvation. And I got saved that day, radically saved. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up with the benefit of, of, of biblical knowledge. I was raised completely outside of a Christian worldview. What about you? What about you? Do you know Jesus? Perhaps it's time. Perhaps your seat's been on fire for a long time. And perhaps maybe you do know Jesus and you just simply made excuses as to maybe why you gave up on the dream that God had for you. And you just, you, you're looking at brokenness and you made excuse after excuse after excuse as to give a reason why you're not where it is that God wants you to be. The road back to God is gentle and the heart of God is kind. And there's grace there and there's mercy there. There's standing there. God would receive you like the, 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 the father of the prodigal, of coming back. Not recounting all of your losses, not recounting everything that you've ever done wrong, and not, not to make you, you, you give an account for all those things. Instead, God brings you back and throws a party and says, It's time. Oh, it's time. Let's celebrate. You see, Some of us, we get caught, and I say some of us, I mean me included, I get caught in this word perfection, to think that God wants me to be perfect. But perfection is not what the Lord seeks. What He seeks is more simple than that, actually. He seeks humility, usability, and teachability. The Lord seeks humility. That when you humble yourselves before the Lord, He will lift you up in honor. He wants usability. Who's somebody who just, who just says, like Isaiah did in, in Isaiah 6, he says, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Or, or like the disciples, they just had a, just the spirit of teachability where they were just following after Jesus, not knowing where Jesus was going to go, what it was that Jesus was going to do, but they just had just the, 
the ability just to be teachable. That's what God wants. And in all times, he wants to lead you like he was leading these people. Another thing I can tell you, our insecurities can lead us to miss our potential. Our insecurities can lead us. That's the third thing in your notes. Our insecurities can lead us to miss our potential. It doesn't mean that you miss your potential forever. Because the only impossible thing that would keep you from your potential is if you never start. But our insecurities can lead us to miss our potential. Make no mistake, 16 years had passed. And God knew that it was time to send a prophet. The the men of God came, brought the message. God didn't send a, a leader. He didn't send a politician. He didn't send a community organizer. He sent a prophet because it was a spiritual problem. Another thing, our insecurities can lead us, or they will lead us, to seek a source of comfort. Our insecurities lead us to seek a source of comfort. Notice the comfort that they were, that they were trying to seek. They'd given up on what God wanted for them at the time, wanted them to to have a place of worship. And once a temple was built together, then God would allow them to build their home. And then God would allow them to build everything else out. But he says, first things first, we need to have this place of worship because connection with God leads to courage from God and then conviction for God. But it starts with that connection. And yet they had bypassed the connection and just started to say, well, we need a place of comfort. We're just going to build our houses. In other words, we're just going to build our little kingdom. God, we don't need to be about yours. We just need to build our little kingdom. They were seeking a source of comfort. We all seek a source of comfort. Some of us go to the mall. Some of us go to the gym. Some of us go to our phones. Some of us go to uh, a, a, something online. Like, we, we all go... back to God. Back to God. Let me encourage you with a couple passages. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love. That's Psalm 33. God sees you. He knows you. He knows you. You're not just... A faceless name. He knows you personally. First Peter five six once again. So humble yourselves in the mighty power of God, and at the right time, He will lift you up in honor. This is a promise from God. God wants to be your place of comfort. You see, I've been struggling with with some of this message. Like, internally, I've been struggling with some of this message, and I have been for a while. And what I've been struggling with is something personal, but also I've been struggling with how would you receive this message? Not are you going to like this message. That's 
But how would you receive it in the way that God wants you to receive it? And I was even praying this morning in my time of worship, and I was just praying for this setting that God would stir hearts today. My desire is that He'd be stirring your hearts and, and that you would become the person that He wants you to be. That you would stop making excuses, that you'd stop trying have another source of comfort, but instead you would understand that that connection with God leads to courage from God and then conviction for God, and that order is important. But I've been praying that for years. I'll summarize everything into this. Take your insecurities to the Father. Take your insecurities. said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. And then he said, no one comes to the Father but through me. What is Jesus saying there? Jesus is saying that the pathway to to be right with our Heavenly Father is understanding that Jesus is the way, not just the way of salvation, he is the way of salvation, but he also poses for us a way of life, a discipleship, a discipleship that is connected to our salvation experience. The same salvation experience I told you about when, when, when my pew was so hot that I had to get up, and that was just my salvation experience. That began something for me. That began a discipleship process. That wasn't the end my my spiritual journey. That was simply the beginning of my spiritual journey. And for the last 26 years, I've been on that journey, and it has had some highs, and it's had some lows. Make no mistake. And there's times I'm like right in the middle. You're the same. But all through the course of my life, anytime that I'm faced with an insecurity, I'm reminded that Jesus is the way. And that Jesus is the truth. In a world filled with life. Offers you life. So take your insecurities to the Father. If you're in Christ, you've already given your life to Jesus. You can pray, you can pray to the Father without anything hindering you. If you're not in Christ, your prayers are actually hindered. Your prayers are hindered because when you pray and you haven't asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, there's a blockage between you and the Father. God is not looking for the measurement of how good of you are, or how well you attended church, or how well you read the Bible, or what you did for God. Instead, what God is looking at is He's looking at your heart, and He's seeing, if He looks at you, if you've given your life to Christ, and you've done that, you've confessed, you've repented of your sins, He looks at your heart and He says, their heart is clean. Their heart is clean. Their sins are atoned, is what it would say in the Bible. That the wrath of God has been quenched. However, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've not acknowledged and repented, turn away from your sin, and if not walk towards Jesus, acknowledging what Jesus did on the cross for you, and repenting of, of the life you've lived and how your sins caused Jesus to die on the cross, then those sins that you are unwilling to repent of are actually a hindrance 
for you to be right with the Father and for you to have eternal security in heaven with God. But you can make that right today. Your eternal resting place can shift today. I invite you to stand with me. As the scripture says that, that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time. I don't know who I'm speaking to today, but I want you to know that it is high time that you give your life to Jesus. It's high time that you stop making excuses. It's high time that you, don't, that, that you decide now in this moment that you're not going to look for another place to go to or person to go to for comfort. Instead, that you're going to go to God. It is high time that we do this today. You know, we don't actually come in this room very often. If you look at what goes on in, in the course of a year, the times where we come into this place, they're very few considering all the life that happens outside of here. So to me, I receive it that these times are precious. If God is speaking to you right now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do exactly what God wants you to do. I realize it could get awkward. Maybe even right now there's something going on. Maybe you have something against somebody else in the room and you need to humble yourself and walk across the aisle and say, I'm sorry, I blew it, I didn't mean it. I know what I said. I embrace what I said. I'm not trying to make an excuse for what I said. I said it. Please forgive me. Maybe you need to make amends right here in the room. You might need to even make amends with somebody who's, who's not here right now. And the first thing you need to do before you go to lunch is go to their house. You need to hunt them down. You need to call them. You need to text them. Say, I need to see your face because I need to tell you I'm sorry. And maybe you need to stop making excuses why you haven't done the thing that God wants you to do. Maybe now in this moment, you just need to stop making excuses and saying, well, I, I can't tithe, I can't give, I, I really want to, but I just can't. Maybe it's just time you stop making excuses and say, God, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm just going to trust you with this. Maybe it's just, just high time for you to say, to, to not make excuses while you're not serving in the church. Instead, you, you may be sitting around waiting for everybody else to serve you, and you're looking around, and you're like, no, I just don't want to do that. It's high time you get involved. It's high time. But the spiritual journey begins right here. Who needs Jesus? Who's seats on fire? Who's the Holy Spirit speaking to right now? And the Holy Spirit saying to you, I need to go forward. I need to give my life to Jesus. I'm not one with the Father. I, I've been seeking other places of comfort. I'm all sorts of insecure. I'm fear-bound. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm crippled with doubt. Who in here needs to come forward and say, I need to give my life to Jesus? Who is it? As we sing, you're going to be invited. You can just come up. You can come up. Once you come up to the front, I'm just trusting that there are going to be other spiritual advisors and people who love you are going to come out and pray with you and say, what do you need? How can I pray for you? If somebody, if you need to receive Jesus, we want to help you today. We want to walk with you through the Bible to see what the Bible says is how you can be saved. It's high time you do so. You respond in the way that God is leading you to respond.
do so now.